Our passage this morning comes from Colossians 1, verse 24, through 2, verse 5. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you that we can rely upon it in times of distress and in times of um, blessing. Lord, I thank you for our pastor Ryan and his friendship, his, his leadership to us. I thank you that he faithfully commits himself to your word each week. But Lord, I pray that you would quiet his own voice and magnify yours through his message this morning. I pray, Lord, for those of us who are listening, that you would open our eyes and open our ears, that we could hear what you would say to us in the beauty of your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in a series of messages that we're calling new, and we're basically just going through a book of the Bible called Colossians, and what we've seen about this book is that Jesus really wants to make his people new, amen? He really wants to make us new, he really wants to do work in us, and today the thrust of our focus in the scriptures that we're going to zone in on is this idea of maturity, or spiritual maturity, Maturity is a word that we often use to describe what it means to grow up, you know, becoming what you were made to be. Paul says this in in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. This is the, the thrust where we want to focus today. He says, Him we proclaim that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, we, we wouldn't um, know what maturity is unless we knew what immaturity was. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you just realize that you're not as mature as you wish you were? My mom is like one of the, the greatest 
most encouraging, most eternally optimistic people that I've ever met in my entire life. And some of you that have met her can agree with that. And, and so, you know, she has a way of looking at things and always seeing the silver lining. And I was 18 years old, and I was in Bible college, and I was learning these big truths about God. And my mom was a new Christian. She had become a Christian maybe a year earlier. And, um, and I just had a way of just kind of coming in, like trying to Jesus juke her and shut her down, you know. Everything that she would say, I always had an answer for that. And one day, I get home from school. It's a Friday night. And um, my mom, my mom uh, said, hey, uh, let's, let's pray together about that. I bet God would love for us to pray about that. Now, little did my mom know at the time that I had just been just, uh, discussing and learning about the sovereignty of God and its implications in the world. And so I go, Mom, it's pointless to pray. God already knows everything. And I couldn't get my foot out of my mouth fast enough because I was immature. and I was showing it to my mom who believed God, believed his word, because prayer, prayer and the sovereignty of God go together. They don't exist separate from each other. Maybe you've got some moments like that in your own life where you wish you were a little more grown up in Jesus than you are. The big idea of where we want to go today is this. We were made to mature. You guys want to say that with me? We were made to mature. We were made to mature. So I've got kind of four movements that I want to talk about as we look at this text. The first one is this, the goal of maturity. The second one, the responsibility of maturity. The third one, the mission of maturity. And the fourth one, the power of maturity. So let's dig in to the goal of maturity. There's, there's a couple of words used in the Greek language to describe the word maturity in the Bible. But, but the word that's used in Colossians 1.27 is this word that, that literally means perfect. It's used in another place where Jesus says it. It's in Matthew 5.48. If you've got a, a, script, a Bible, you can turn over there. Uh, but he says this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the same word that Paul uses to talk about that his goal is maturity. His goal is that everyone would be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. And why? Because Jesus said you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What a daunting word. Am I right? Perfect? Perfect, really. I, I, was, I was in a local establishment a couple weeks ago and I'm checking out uh, at the counter, and on the wall, there is this, like, decal on the wall that's, that's something unlike anything I've ever seen before. It literally said this, there is no such thing as, per- uh, as perfection, so do not expect it. Like, that's what this guy's wall said. So, like, hey, whatever I'm selling, it's not going to be perfect, so just get over it, is what he's saying. Now, I just thought it was pretty interesting to have that on the wall. It was almost like the guy who put it up on the wall had this internal, like, repeating accusation going in his mind. That he's expected to be perfect in his work and in the things that he produces with his work, but somehow he can't do it. And so, to, to appease this internal argument that he has, he just puts this up on the wall. Hey, I just want to tell everybody, it's not going to be perfect, so just get over it. And so I just felt like, you know, I've got to, I've got to, I'm going to be here an hour. I mean, maybe we should have a conversation about it. Maybe he'd be open to talking about it. And, and lo and behold, the, the owner was there, and, uh, and I said, um, 
you know, tell me about this decal you have on the wall here. I'm really interested in that. I, I think I agree with it, but can you tell me more about it? And, and he says, uh, we are all, he says, we're all flawed human beings, and to expect perfection is irrational and unreasonable. And I said, man, I, I couldn't, I actually couldn't agree with that statement that you said more. I, I, I couldn't agree with what you said. And I, and I said more, but we need to show each other grace and mercy. And, and mercy is, is not giving someone what they deserve. And grace is giving someone something that they don't deserve. We need to show those types of attitudes and behaviors to each other. And he seemed to think that was a reasonable idea. And I went on to tell him about Jesus. And he said, I, I, but I just can't believe uh, that. If, if I could know that it was true, I would believe in that. But, but here's the issue with this idea of perfection, this idea of maturity, is that we want to believe what that wall said. There's no such thing as perfection. You know, stop trying to expect it. But the reality is, is deep down in your heart, you know it's not true. You were made to be perfect. You were made to mature. You were made to be everything that God intended you to be, but somehow inside you don't have it within you. You don't have it within you. So we, we all have this desire to be made perfect, and we simply just can't get there. And, and acting like because no one is perfect just doesn't cut it deep down inside of us, does it? You know, we, we used to be a part of a church in Las Vegas, and they kind of had this mantra that they would say all the time. They said, you know, there's no perfect people allowed. Don't expect perfection. There's no perfect people allowed. And, and the thing is, is that the sentiment sounds fine, and it's actually a true statement. It's just not all of the truth. Let, let me explain what I mean by that. We cannot be perfect, yet Jesus is, and he calls us to it. And because you and I were made for glory, for worth, for, for perfection, we were made for so much more than we settle for. Listen to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 27, Paul says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, the, those people that didn't have God's grace in their lives, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's saying the mystery of perfection the mystery of a life that pleases God because you're perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect is not that you can get there on your own. My, my friend at the store that I was at, he, he knew that he couldn't get there on his own. And so his, his idea was, I'll just lower the bar so that I can get there. And then if, maybe if I lower the bar, then I'll be satisfied inside. But there's something still that exists within each and every one of us that knows we're just not enough on our own. And you know what? God put it there. God put it there so that you would seek Him. You would seek this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when we think about glory, and, and if you look at the original language about what glory is, it's this, it's this term that, that's hard to put words on, isn't it? But it means weightiness and worth and honor. It means those types of things. And the interesting thing about what we think about glory as, as humans is that we know that God deserves glory because He made us in His image. If you follow Jesus, He redeemed you. He saved you. But what Paul says is that Christ in you is the hope of glory. 
He's not talking about just giving glory to God. He's talking about God redeeming glory in us. It's it's a flipped way of thinking about it. Jesus says you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we're thinking, how do we get there? I just keep falling short. I want to get to the other side, but I can't quite make it. And Paul says, whoa, 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 you're missing the point. The point is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not you getting to Christ, the hope of glory, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. Of glory, And what we do as his people is we invite Jesus to come into our lives through repentance and faith. And we say, Jesus, I can't do it. I know that I messed up. I know that there's no perfect people allowed, but, but I know that you require me to be perfect. So how do I get there? Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we receive Jesus, here's what begins to happen in our lives. Here's how we begin to get spiritually mature is that Jesus comes inside of us, and as we believe in him, we turn from our old ways, and he begins to press out the unbelief of trying to get glory on our own. Little by little, as we repent, and we trust him, and we seek his face, and we desire more of him and less of us, it pushes little by little the unbelief out of our identities. Now, the trajectory of us fully being one with Jesus Christ living fully inside of us, we'll never experience the fullness of that this side of eternity. But He's put it in us to keep seeking it, not just for ourselves, but also for others, as long as God gives us on this earth. Now this, this, this idea theologically of becoming a little bit more like Jesus, a little bit more like God, a li- gaining a little bit more glory of Christ living inside of us is this theological word called sanctification. And it's this idea that that Jesus changes us a little bit every day by the power of the Spirit, that, that we become a little bit more like Him and a little bit less like the world every day that we follow Him. Because, um, you know, we have four kids. We, we cycle through uh, clothing, you know. So sometimes you might see Roman and he's got like jeans with like holes in them or whatever and he's like these are my new jeans and you're like no those are not your new jeans and they're new to him because his brother gave them to him and his brother got holes in them we, we cycle through clothing like that maybe you grow up in a family the same way but sometimes they'll pull a piece of clothing out that's that's just a little bit too big for them but they're so excited to wear it that they'll just wear it anyway and and I'll pull a dad move and say hey just you know just uh just put a belt on or roll the cuffs up it looks great on you son you know, uh, and, and that's kind of like what it's like to grow up in God's grace, to grow up in his image, to grow up in our identity with him is that as we seek to follow Jesus, the clothes feel a little bit big, like his righteousness on us. It doesn't fit quite right because he's still pressing all of the unbelief out of us. And we all want to be further along than where we are, but the beauty of where you're at is that God is in control of where you are right now. He's in control. He knows what you struggle with. And he asks and, 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 and pleads with you to seek his face, that Christ might be more fully formed inside of you day by day. So what's your gut level response to that? What Jesus says, you've got to be perfect as my Father is perfect. And the slogan, no perfect people allowed, just won't cut it in the kingdom. What, what is your response to that? How... Will Christ be formed in you this week? Secondly, let's look at this. Just this idea of the responsibility of 
of maturity. We've looked at kind of what it means to mature, but, but the responsibility of maturity. Now, I'm actually going to flip over to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16 to look at this for a second because I, wanna, I really want to hone in on our individual responsibility for our own spiritual maturity. Paul in Colossians 1 that we're looking at talks about how we have an obligation, a stewardship, a mission to help other people mature. So last week we talked about that idea of, of Abraham, I'm sorry, of um, Jacob and uh, Esau, no, Cain and Abel, there we go. <laughs> Some brothers in there, yeah. Cain and Abel, and, and uh, you know, Abel, um, Cain does the unthinkable, he, uh, he fatally wounds Abel because of his jealousy, and then God comes to him and he meets him and he says, what, am I my brother's keeper? And we determine the reality is this, yes, you are. We belong to each other. We're responsible for each other. But not only that, you're also responsible for your, yourself and your own spiritual maturity. So sometimes I'll hear, you know, people say, you know, that, that sermon didn't really speak to me that much. Or, you know, I don't really like that song. Or, you know, I, I don't know. It, and we, we get into this kind of consumeristic trap of the Western church. And the reality is, is that corporate worship is beautiful and it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Christ being formed in our community and us seeking him. Now, it's great that we, when we worship and, and, we, and our preferences are met, but they're not always met. In fact, if, if you're in a church where all of your preferences are always met, you're around people uh, that look just like you or you're by yourself. That's the reality. That's the reality of it. So Paul says this about the responsibility of our individual maturity in Philippians 3. I think it's assumed in Colossians 1, so I want to flip over to Philippians and just read it to you real quick and, and draw out a quick point there. Philippians 3, 12 through 16 says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Same word for maturity that we've been looking at this morning. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is beautiful. So just before Paul proclaims this, you know, he's, 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 he's talking about th this idea of moving um, from profession only to possession. You see the difference. Profession says, just says, Jesus, I want to follow you. Possession says, I want to make you mine, Jesus. I want all of you inside of me. I know it's not going to happen overnight, but I'm on this trajectory. I'm on this road to Jesus growing more and more inside of me. I want to move from just profession, just proclaiming it with my mouth, to possession, owning. And the reason I want to do that, Paul says, is because Jesus has made me his own. He took full responsibility for my sin. He took it straight to the cross and dealt with it. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Paul would say in another place, 1 Corinthians, not my own. I've been bought with a price. So he says the secret of spiritual maturity on an individual plane would be this. For Paul, it's a degree of self-forgetfulness. 
self-forgetfulness that, that he strives to have uh, in his life that ultimately enables him to become more like Jesus. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3.13 that we just read. He says, one thing I do. Okay, if there's one thing I could do to make Jesus my own, just, if I just had one, here's what I would do. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not saying that you can just go sin and run rampant and there's no consequences. What he's saying is that there is a degree of danger in hyper-introspection when you think about growing up in Jesus. I was just talking about this uh, with someone this week. He said, you know, it's, it's dangerous uh, to just focus inward on yourself and not look and receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And I said, I couldn't agree more. So we're, we're all prone to, to, to different ditches when it comes to our history and our past. Some of us cling to it and let it identify us a little too much. Others of us, uh, we, we live kind of licentiously and we don't consider our sin quite enough and the holy offense against God that it is. What Paul's describing is this balance, kind of the middle of the road where, where we see our sin, we repent of it, and we, we are released to move forward in life. We are released to receive God's grace and to live in it more and more. What this truth tells us is this, is that we can seek growth in Jesus without being consumed with ourselves. This is the best news we could ever hear. That, that spiritual maturity is not another self-absorbed performance improvement plan for your life. That's not what it is. It's not about the, the, the Sunday school like stickers with, you know, I read this, I have this memorized, I brought my Bible every Sunday. It's, it's not about that. Those things are important. Whatever those marks that you have that God has for you in His Word, those are important. But they do not define you. Because spiritual maturity is ultimately not just about you. We don't have to become self-absorbed and myopic in our approach of Jesus. He says that the secret to self spiritual maturity is actually about forgetting yourself more as Jesus fills you up. What's that look like for you today? Where do you find yourself on this hamster wheel continually battling your own disappointments where you don't hit the mark? What does that look like for you this week as you seek to mature in Jesus? Where could you forget? Where could you, do you have a little holy self-forgetfulness in some areas where you might be able to grow up more and more? Because the more we hold on to our past, the, the less of a grip we have on the future, which is what Jesus is making us into. What would that look like for you this week? So, so we, we, Paul says, you've got to grow up in Christ, forget what lies behind, look forward to what lies ahead. And he, then, he, then he gives us this mission of maturity in Colossians chapter 1. If we flip back over there, uh, the, the thrust of what he wants to communicate to this church in these verses is that we are all responsible for one another's maturity uh, in Christ. So by making Jesus our own as he has bought us with a price, we ultimately enable ourselves to give ourselves more and more away than keep more and more of our preoccupation with ourselves. We give ourselves away. Paul says this, Colossians 1.28, him we proclaim. That's key. Who do we proclaim? Who do we proclaim? Him. Him. We don't proclaim ourselves. We don't proclaim, hey, I'm knocking it out of the park in my spiritual maturity. 
It's been two weeks since I've sinned. That's not possible, by the way, but anyway. Him we proclaim, not ourselves. We can only proclaim Him if He is filling us and we're emptying ourselves of our preoccupation with ourselves. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. That's two sides of God's Word and its impact in our lives. Warning and teaching with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. His heart is that he might be able to present everyone mature in Christ. Not perfect, but becoming more and more like Jesus every day of their lives. And and, and, and maturity, or this idea of seeking perfection, being formed to be more and more like Jesus, is a responsibility, but it's also a stewardship. Meaning that we have uh, a responsibility to steward it among other Christians. That you actually do belong to your neighbor. You are part of a body, and you are not your own. Now, we don't live this way very often. So, so how do we help each other mature? Well, well Paul says this, that what's going to happen in our lives is that the Word has to become made fully known. That, that, that we need to be reformed with the Word at the core of who we are and what we do and what we speak and what we say and how we live. Not our Word, but His Word. Him we proclaim so he, so he talks about two sides of the Word being formed in us. Now, the Word is formed in us individually as we seek Him, but it's also formed in us communally. It's being formed in you as I speak, and it has nothing to do with me because it's Him we proclaim. And His Word is the one that does the work by the power of the Holy Spirit. Him we proclaim. And he says the first way that we proclaim is by warning. Now, warning is not a word that we perceive positively, is it? What comes to mind whenever you hear the word warning? Is it not blue lights in your rearview mirror? You're like, I hope I just get a warning, right? I mean, we don't think about warning in a positive manner. And by the way, Megan is the queen of getting warnings. I kid you not. You want to figure it out, talk to her. I haven't got it figured out, but she does. Um, warning is not a word that we receive positively. We're, we're so afraid to use God's word in such a way that we that it might be offensive to ourselves or others. Now, now I'm not talking about someone who is brash in their, in their speech and their conduct in regards to God's Word. I'm not talking about the guy with the bullhorn at the Georgia football game, right? I'm, like, like God, I, I think God's Word is going for it. I'm not talking about warning people like that. I'm, I'm talking about in a community of people warning in such a way that it draws out unbelief. Now, Jesus um, never tells us to speak the word to each other in an arrogant way. He tells us to do it humbly. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives an example of this. And he's trying to draw out um, the Pharisees and their approach to, to, to using God's word as a weapon against other people. And he gives this, he gives this humorous uh, hyperbole of an illustration to describe it. He says, he says it's like this. It's like some person is trying to, to get a speck out of your eye, but, but the whole time he's trying to get the speck out of your eye, you've got a plank in your eye. You know, and he, it, you get this impression of like a, like a rafter beam or something. It's, it's this ridiculous exaggeration that proves this point. That we need to humbly let the Word of God wash over and through us as we teach others and help form others in the Word. 
that you can't just sit back and say, man, you're such an adulterer. Man, you're such a sinner. You need to stop sinning. He says, no, you need to look at the sin in your own life, repent of that, and somehow that will give you a posture of grace, the one like Jesus has when he approaches and pursues people in the Scriptures. He says, that's how we're to warn one another. However, what we do most times as a church, not just our church, but as the church, is we talk about people's sin. We just don't talk about their sin to their face, right? We, we are far more comfortable talking about other people's sin with someone else other than them. We notice it all day long. But rarely do we go up with an attitude and a heart where we warn someone about the danger that they're approaching on because of their conduct in the way that God's Word is not alive in them. Now, I can tell you this, that some of the most formative moments in my life have been when someone has had the courage to do that to me. Someone's had the courage to come up and say, you know, Ryan, you're a little, you're a little arrogant. Let, let me tell you about this example. Um, and we got this friendship, and they, they remind me, and I say because the Holy Spirit is, is living in me in those moments, yeah, you're, you're actually right. And I had people come up to me in tears and, and, and help me become aware of things in my life that are not in line with God's Word. And it's changed my life. It's changed my life because they had the courage to obey the Scriptures. To warn other one, To see others and to care for others in such a way that we'll speak the truth in love to them. Now, the other thing is, you go back to Jesus' example of Matthew 7 about speaking the truth in love. Uh, uh, rather about the plank and the speck, do you know how hard it is to get something out of your eye on your own? It's impossible, right? You, you, you're like, hey, I think something's in my eye, and they're like, well, look down, no, look up, and, and you're trying to, to figure it out, but it takes a team of people to be able to do that. That's the same way with identifying and repenting of sin in your own life. You can't do it on your own. You can try to do it on your own all day long, but it takes the church, the family of God, who are willing to be humble enough to say, let's grow in Jesus together. I'm going to submit to you. You're going to submit to me. And we're all going to submit to Jesus. And we're going to open this, this door of being able to warn one another instead of just gossiping behind each other's backs. Next, he says that, that we proclaim him by teaching. Proclaim by warning. Proclaim by teaching. So if warnings are the reactive approach to sin in our life, teaching are the proactive approach. You know, we're, 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 this is where we willingly submit ourselves to God's Word and to those who teach God's Word. Now, all of us, to some degree, are charged with a responsibility to teach. Maybe not up on a pulpit, maybe not even in a classroom. But we're all called to because Jesus calls us to that in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching. He calls us all to it to some degree. Some of us are gifted more than others. That doesn't matter. We're all called to teach the Word to one another. And, and we need to be taught the truths about God because we will never be finished growing into the Word of God. We'll never be finished until we meet Jesus face to face growing up into this book. And so this morning, if the Word is somewhat stale to you, if the Word is somewhat indifferent to you, I want to encourage you to get on your knees before God and ask Him to help you want this more than anything in your life. And get yourself into a group of people, a community, a church, that will walk alongside you as you seek to have His Word formed in 
you. This is what maturity and community sounds like. Now, if that's what it sounds like, warning and teaching as we seek to be formed in the Word, here's what it feels like. All right, you ready for this? Struggling, toiling, and suffering for one another's growth in grace. This is what Paul says. Listen to this, Colossians 1.24. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So, these, these scars on my back, they're, they're for your sake. They're not just for me. I, this is not just what I you know, do when I, you know, in my spare time. You know, I don't just get beaten and shipwrecked just for fun. Um, these are for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, this can be a confusing verse because we, you can read this and you could say, man, Jesus is like the, or Paul's like the better Jesus. Like he's trying, to, he's trying to finish what Jesus started. That's not what he's saying here because we, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. So in Hebrews 10, 14, the Scriptures say this, For by a single offering, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So it's like Jesus has already paid the full price. His blood speaks a better word. But somehow we're being shaped in it. So, so what is this suffering that Paul's talking about? What does it mean? What was lacking was the future suffering of Christians. And it's still lacking in part. Because each of us struggle and suffer as we seek wholeness in Jesus. And the world does not like it. Sometimes we struggle and we suffer because of how we sin against each other in the church. Other times we struggle and we suffer because of what happens outside the church. And, and as, a, as a Western church, we don't have as large of a theology or, or a component in our thinking and our, and our reasoning about how we relate to God that involves suffering. But in every single letter that Paul writes, it's very present. Suffering is part of the formation process. He goes on to say in Colossians 1.29 that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, <laughs> struggling with all his energy. So toil. You know what toil means? Toil means to work really, really, really hard at something. Toil's first mentioned in the Scriptures when, when, uh, when, the, when the Scriptures are written about uh, Noah when he comes on the scene. And, and the Scriptures say that that they were hopeful that Noah might be the one to bring relief from the pain, the painful toil of our hands. We know what toil is. You will feel it as you go home this afternoon with your family. And when you show up in the office tomorrow morning, you will feel the impact of sin and it will relate to toil in your lives. And it just basically means this, that nothing is as effortless as it should be. Paul should be able to walk into Colossae and say, hey guys, here's Jesus, here's what he's about. Believe it. And that's what we expect in our own lives. That's what we expect in our communities, in our discipleship groups, in the people that we share fellowship with. But Paul says that's not how you're made mature. It's not just about talking and saying something. It's about toiling. It's about the grit. It's about the grind of helping each other walk like Jesus walked and seeing his life formed inside of us. It's not as easy as we think it should be. And that frustrates us. But if anything in this life is worth toiling over, isn't it Jesus? We might toil over a lot of things, 
But man, one thing that I hope New City Church will choose to struggle and toil and suffer for will be each other's maturity in Jesus. And that means not taking the lazy road of, of just letting people ruin their lives and walk away from God. That means not just taking the easy road of just saying what's convenient and maybe culturally appropriate in the moment, but it's speaking the truth in love to one another because you love Jesus more than you love your reputation, because you love Jesus more than you love your feelings, because you love Jesus more than anything else, you're willing to help others be formed in Christ. We expect spiritual maturity to be easy, and we act so surprised when it's difficult. The kingdom advances forcefully, and it's offensive because Jesus is remaking us. He's recreating us into His image by the power of the Spirit. And this is anything but easy. Now before you walk out of here with a to-do list and think, how am I ever going to get there? I've got the best news that I've out of everything that I've shared with you this morning here, the power of maturity. The power of maturity. The power for Paul's pursuit of being made perfect in Jesus and helping others be made perfect in Jesus is to get outside of himself and to give himself away to others because it was never his power to begin with. It was never his. Listen, Colossians 128 and 129. Him we proclaim, warning everyone teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal. For this I toil, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Our lives are aimed at struggling and toiling with all of Jesus' power, with all that He is, because we know that the struggle was His before it was ever ours. The struggle was His when He sought to make us whole from a God that we didn't even know when He went to the cross. He owned the struggle before we ever felt the struggle. And that's why He owns us and we seek to follow Him when we wrestle with Him and we wrestle with one another. Oftentimes, people will see Megan in the grocery store with four kids, wrangling the kids, pushing the cart down the aisle, and, uh, and they'll, our neighbors have said this too, I just don't know how you do it. And, and without fail, she'll say, I don't either. I don't do it. He does it. Like, I, I don't, my life doesn't make sense. I've got a, an autoimmune disease. I've got four small children. I'm happy in Jesus. My life doesn't make sense. I don't have power to do it. What would it look like for us to consider that today? The, the struggle that you feel, the suffering that you endure, the things that you don't even know that are going to happen in your life that are going to be tempted to wreck your joy, what would it look like to just, just from the, the outset say, I'm not going to have strength to do this. I'm going to feel helpless when I look inside and try to accomplish this because that's what it feels like. And I just want to close with a quick story of, um, of, a, of a great way to, to, to kind of illustrate this truth. So there's this son that tells his dad that, that he wants to run. Um, now the dad isn't, he's not really into running. Um, 
but he really loves his son, and so he says, I'm going to become a runner because I love my son, and my son wants to run. And so uh, it starts with a, a 5K, which is like three miles, and then a, a year later, it turns into a mini marathon, which is 13 or so miles, and, and, then, and then a marathon, and then several 26.2-mile marathons, and then an Ironman triathlon, which, to give you reference, is a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike ride, and a 26.2-mile run. But here's the deal, though. Rick Hoyt, who's the son that wanted to run, has cerebral uh, palsy. <clears throat> and he's never been able to walk or talk on his own a day in his life. Yet he wants to do an Ironman triathlon. So Dick trains his body, and he does this. I want to show you a picture of, of these two here. This is them when they were, they were younger. Um, now, Rick, who's the son, is 51 years old, and he and his dad have been running for 37 years. So Dick pulls Rick in the raft for 2.4 miles as they swim. And then if 2.4 miles of swimming isn't hard enough, which I can't walk 2.4 miles, so I don't see how they do this. Then they get on a bike. And they go 112 miles, and this thing, this rig weighs like over 300 pounds. And then after they get off the 112-mile bike ride, then they, he hops in this kind of modified jogging stroller like this, and, and he runs for 26.2 miles, all because his son wanted to run, but he didn't have the power to do it. All because he wanted to run, and he loved his son, and he didn't have the power to do it. He said, I'm going to do this because I love you. Church, this is life in the kingdom. Jesus was crucified and raised to share his life in you through faith. And it's Jesus that gives us his power in the kingdom to grow up into him in every single way. Because we, just like Rick, have desires of where we want to be in life, of how we want to follow God, and yet we don't have the power to do it. So my question to you as we close is this, will you let Jesus' power be manifest in your life this morning? Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you that, um, that your word is so powerful. And that you require us to be perfect because it's the only way that we can ever be made whole. To be reconciled to God. That there, the reality is, is that you require us to be sinless because you are just and righteous. And the reality for us is we can't do it. And so this morning, Lord, we just say we, we can't be what you called us to be, but Jesus can. And because of Your love, You sent Jesus. And by faith, the life of Jesus is our story. It is our life. So God, would You help us to grow up more into that this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.